This is Expert Insights, Physician Views and News, a podcast with the nationally recognized physicians at the Christ Hospital Health Network. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Resistant hypertension is a common problem faced by both primary care clinicians and specialists. My guest today is Dr. John Zwalik. He's a non-invasive cardiologist with the Christ Hospital Health Network. Welcome to the show, Dr. Zwalik. Explain a little bit about resistant hypertension. What is it and how prevalent is it in the community? Resistant hypertension, for the most part, if you look in the literature, is defined as a blood pressure of 140 over 90 on three or more medications or someone who's controlled on more than four or more medications. It's really difficult to get a good feel on what the exact number of resistant hypertensives are because of multiple factors, and one of them being definition, and then adherence is another issue. So in our clinic, I run our resistant hypertension clinic, and I think our numbers parallel the national numbers. Um, If you look at the number of hypertensives in the United States, um, it was estimated to be around 70 million Americans having hypertension. Recently, the new guidelines came out and changed the definition of hypertension, lowered it from 140 over 90 to 130 over 80. And by virtue of doing that, the number of of individuals with, quote, hypertension now is probably somewhere in the 100 million range. So intuitively, you would think that that's going to increase the number of resistant hypertensives. But what I what I see and I, the literature that I look at, it's really more in the in the ten to fifteen percent range of resistant hypertensives. So those are people who have blood pressures of one hundred forty over ninety on three or more medications, or those who are controlled on four or more medications. So what are the causes? Um, that that's a great question. Um, there are uh, genetic potential genetic causes. We know that hypertension in general is is uh, has a genetic component, and that's really not very well defined. Um, but there are also uh, other risk factors that lead to hypertension in general, and then obviously resistant hypertension. Uh, that is obesity, uh, individuals with sleep apnea, uh, those who drink alcohol to excess. Those are all risk factors for, for uh, hypertension and resistant hypertension. So it, can someone hit a blood pressure plateau? Is there a point at which... And you say, okay, they've been on controlled with four medications or they're uncontrolled with three. And does it come to a point, doctor, where it's like, okay, this is this is really as high as we can let it get, and then what? Well, I think the other important thing one has to remember is it's it's not, you know, if you use the new definition of hypertension, 130 over 80, for example, if you use that as your line in the sand to call someone hypertensive or not, does that mean that someone who has a blood pressure of 129 over 80 is not hypertensive and someone who's 130 over 80 is? So the important thing is, is it's, a con- it's a continuum, and you need to assess the individual's total cardiovascular risk uh, because not, all, not, not everyone with a blood pressure of 130 over 80 is created equal, if you know what I mean. Um, those who have heart disease, those who are diabetic, those who have kidney disease, those individuals you need to be more aggressive with. So it's it's very difficult to to put a line in the sand, and that's what I get that's what I get concerned when guidelines come out, and it can confuse clinicians because it's not cut and dried as a yes you are or no you're not. It's it's a it's a continuum based on the individual's risk. 
What a good point. And and do you think that some of it might be an adherence to medicational intervention and protocol? Do you think, I mean, is there some way for you to gauge with your patients? Do you do a, an that, assessment? That's, a, that's of, a great question. So that's a great question. Um, you know, adherence is, is, is a huge issue. And if you look nationally at the data for hypertension clinics, and our hypertension clinic mirrors that we have about a 30% non-adherence rate. And that means either individuals are not taking the medications as prescribed or not compliant with follow-up visits to reevaluate them. Now, what are the reasons for non-adherence? Well, a big one is, is, is cost of medications, although I think in general that is getting better, but that's still an issue. Um, another major issue with non-adherence is, is side effects from medications. And there are individuals that uh, are really uh, have issues, struggle with the uh, side effects to medications, therefore not taking medications as, as prescribed. Now you ask, is there a way to measure that? There is, but it's very difficult. Uh, you can do certain, you can do urine tests to, to look to see if the drug is in the individual's urine. However, those are costly and, and not all insurance uh, companies pay for those or insurance plans. And it's difficult to do. Um, patient feels like they're being, you know, being challenged. What we've done on a, on a more simpler, uh, in a more simpler way is on occasion, we've actually had to call pharmacies and look to see if individuals have refilled medications. Uh, and we found occasionally that there are still prescriptions sitting in the pharmacy, even though the individual says they take their medication. So it's a challenge. Um, and that's something that's going to be ongoing and, and uh, just sort of a fact of life, so to speak. So, what do you think that you can do or let other physicians know? How do you deal with all of these issues? Because if this is continuing to be a problem, and as those guidelines have changed, now there's more people with general hypertension, maybe not necessarily resistant hypertension, that number may or may not stay the same. But what do you want other physicians to know about treatment protocols now? As we've looked at all of these different avenues, what do you want other physicians to take away from this? Well, I think, you know, going, getting back to the guidelines, I think in general, the guidelines are very good. They give a, a nice uh, outline of how to approach someone with hypertension. Uh, our initial drug tr therapy is really a, a, a consists of three drugs, an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker, a calcium blocker, and a diuretic. And then after, after, if someone is unsuccessful on those three medications, then there's a stepwise addition. There's guidelines discussing what to add on after that. But it, these patients can be very labor-intensive, labor and in addition to medical therapy, you know, you need to look for things like sleep apnea, uh, secondary causes like hyperaldosteronism, which is more common than we think. Um, di diet and lifestyle modifications should not be ignored, and they can be very helpful, and it's sometimes a challenge to get individuals to buy into that. We, at our clinic, we spend a lot of time with the patients uh, at, at our first visit. It's usually an hour or so going through the medical part and then the lifestyle part. And we've had a lot of success with uh, the DASH diet, uh, which is a low-sodium-based diet uh, to treat hypertension. And once patients start to see some improvement and some success, that's easier to buy into. But this is very difficult for a lot of, patients, a lot of physicians to handle in a routine office visit. They don't have the time. They're inundated with uh, many other patients. And that's where the uh, hypertension clinics really can come in and help these patients and get them on track and then refer them back to their prescribing physician.
So I think that's 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 the model that we need to look at to these more specialized clinics, at least to get a handle on the issue, and then uh, refer back to the primary doctor for for longitudinal long long care, long term care. So as you're doing this combination therapy of lifestyle and medicational intervention, are you seeing that some of the reversible causes are being taken care of, and then narrowing it down, kind of, kind of finish it up for us, summarize what you're seeing and what you would like to see in the future? Well, in general, um, we've had a very good success with using this model, a multidisciplinary type approach to treating hypertension. And of course, there are some outliers, some folks that are, are still not successful. And that's where ongoing research and hypertension trials come into play. We're involved in a couple trials at the Christ Hospital device trials to treat hypertension. And some of these individuals may or may not uh, meet the criteria for these trials. And I think that's that's something that's going to be ongoing. And there's a lot of trials uh, in the in the U.S. and nation, you know, in in uh, Europe that are looking at, uh, let me rephrase that. There are a lot of trials in the United States and in Europe that are looking at the device device-based therapy for hypertension. And these can be very successful in that resistant group that can either tolerate medications or we just can't get their blood pressure uh, to goal on, you know, four, five, six medications. Although I will say that this group is really quite small and device-based therapy for hypertension is really more of a niche therapy, but certainly a real, a real option. So I think that's where the, the specialty-based hypertension clinics come into play and can play a significant role. Thank you so much, doctor, for being with us today. What great information. You're listening to Expert Insights, Physician Views and News with the Christ Hospital Health Network. More information on Dr. Zwalik and all of the Christ Hospital physicians is available at tchpconnect.org. That's tchpconnect.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.